Uh, the reading is taken from James chapter 4, verses 11 to 17. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Ritesh. It's really exciting to be here. Really lovely to meet you. I think I've met quite a few people, but as Ritesh said, I'm Mike, one of the, the, the other curate. I don't know if I'm always going to be the other curate, you know. It's just destined to be, isn't it? Um, today we've got our next instalment on uh, James, uh, so one of our series we're doing is on James, and last week Joe, if you're here, Joe talked about James 3, uh, about true wisdom, how the wisdom of the world isn't really wisdom at all, it's unspiritual, unhelpful, whereas true wisdom that comes from God is peace-loving, considerate, full of mercy. I think it's worth remembering that, and if you didn't hear that, it's really worth listening on SoundCloud, on the website, you can get it there, just to put everything in context in terms of what we're looking at here in James 4. I have to admit, when I read this passage as I started to prepare this, uh, I immediately came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit about pretty much all of it. Um, not speaking against a brother or sister, judging others, uh, making plans without God, anybody? Uh, and finally, if you're not caught by the other things, not doing the things we ought to do. Okay, so that's just like everything. <laughs> and I say this, I just want to emphasize that at the start, because it sounds like James is saying some pretty tough things here, right? In fact, the whole book of James is pretty tough, I would say. Um, and we're really going to dig into what God is saying, what I feel God is saying, maybe saying to us through this passage. But I just want you to hear my heart in this talk. It's all very much stuff that I am working through myself as well. So the title of the talk, as you can see, is Letting Jesus Be on the Throne of Your Life, because that's what I feel God is saying to us this morning through this passage. So I realize I haven't picked up the clicker at this point. So first point is about uh, not speaking or speaking evil, not speaking evil of each other. And I just thought it's worth reading these verses again. So um, verse 11 and 12 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against one another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy so who then are you to judge your neighbor? So in the Greek, it's literally this saying bad things about each other. And James explains that the reason we shouldn't do this is because we're effectively raising ourselves up above the law. Um, 
the law that says to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I don't know about you, the last few years, I've watched the news a lot less than I used to, uh, but it does seem as though we've forgotten as human beings how to disagree n nicely. Um, maybe we never did it, but I think we used to do it better in the, in the public domain. And it feels like there's a sort of constant tirade of, uh, uh, against this politician or that leader or a celebrity or a royal family member. This will make sense in a second, by the way. Um, it feels like Caps Lock, that was the best picture I could get of Caps Lock, uh, is kind of stuck on and we can't switch it off, uh, at least in that public domain. Uh, but before we start judging those in the media, do we need to ask ourselves the question as to whether we do this ourselves? Do we set ourselves up as God and take that role of judge instead of following the royal law and to love God and to love one another? Although this passage talks about brothers and sisters, so believers, um, the principle, I believe, can be applied more widely. And I uh, just want to tell a little story. So a manager I had one time was one of the hardest people I've ever worked for. Anyone ever worked for a difficult manager? Pretty, yeah, a lot of people. Um, I mean, I might be a difficult manager to work for. Who knows? Uh, but hopefully not. But um, they were just sort of opposite to me in every way uh, in terms of outlook in life, ways of working, priorities, and so on. And, you know, you're trying to be a good Christian, but, you know, it's doesn't always work. And I, I thought I was justified in having a bit of a moan. I wasn't saying terrible things, but just having a little bit of a moan about her um, to other colleagues. And I had a ready audience because these people also found this person difficult to work with. Um, however, just before Christmas that year it was, as I was praying in the morning, I just really felt God convict me about it. I repented and asked the Lord to help me speak only positive things or nothing at all, right? That's also a good thing to do. Um, and I don't really understand how this works. I don't have a, like a theology for this, even though I've been to theological college for three years. Um, but the manager, after, there was a complete transformation after Christmas. Um, <clears throat> the manager was supportive, saying positive things about my work. And I look back actually on my emails and they'd never said anything positive the previous two and a half years that I worked for her. Um, so I'm not saying it's always going to happen like that, of course, but there's something about following God's love, um, God's law, to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves, which requires us to kind of climb down from the throne of our life and allow Jesus to sit there instead. And I think, I find anyway, there's a lot, can be a lot of pressure on us when we set ourselves up to be in charge of our own lives. Obviously, there's an element of taking responsibility and so on, but to actually set ourselves up on the throne of our lives. And sometimes we just need to open our hearts, open ourselves up to the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, as I was talking about in that example, to show us where we've kind of enthroned ourselves instead of letting Jesus be on the throne. And ultimately, Jesus showed us the way to live. He could have spoken evil of us as sinners, um, who choose to live independently of God and sin. But in Gethsemane, instead of judging us, and cho he chose and choosing his own will or anything like that, he said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And on the cross, the judgment that we deserved, he took on our behalf and died in our place. Jesus was and is God. He had every right to judge us, but instead he chose to love us, to love each one of us here this morning.
to die for us, to save us from our sins, and not just ours here, but the sin of the whole world. And if we remind ourselves of this, I think it's helpful when we dare not judge our sister or brother or neighbor, or even, I don't know if I could go this far, fellow car driver. <laughs> I think every time I think I'm getting somewhere, I go in the car and then that's, a, that's the ultimate test of London driving. Um, but instead, we rather choose the way of love, uh, choosing to obey the royal law, to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves, and allow Jesus to be our savior and worship him, letting him be on the throne of our lives instead of ourselves in our own kind of pride. So that's the first point. Second point is, in the middle of the, the passage, it's about uh, boasting about tomorrow. So verses 13 to 16, I'll just read some of that, I think. Um, so come now, you who say, today or tomorrow you'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business, making money, yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, a lot of my background, as you probably know, uh, Ritesh and I both work full-time kind of during the week outside the church, and my kind of core thing is project management, really. I'm a planner. Ask Tina. I'm a bit of a planner. Uh, so uh, a lot of my background is in that, and a lot of my job is around that. So I kind of find these verses about planning and, and that sort of thing quite challenging, if I'm honest. Um, and verse 13 that we just read talks about planning to do some business today, go to a city tomorrow, make some money. Sounds like a good idea to me, <laughs> to be honest. Sort of thing that I like doing. <laughs> um, to be honest, it, it, it really doesn't sound like a bad idea. So it did make me wonder, is, is everything I'm doing in my paid work, you know, not good? Is this, is this not a good thing I'm doing? Program, project management, doing business, making money. So I thought, let's look at Jesus. Does he plan? Loads of examples, but I just took one. In Luke 4, after Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law, he heals many others at the end of the day. And then the next day, this is verses 42, 42 to 44, the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So therefore, Jesus clearly had a plan. It was maybe a flexible plan, um, but he had a plan. It wasn't just, you know, not, no planning. But it wasn't something he did independently of the Father. Quite the opposite. He also said in John 5 that the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So that kind of links back to this, this passage. Jesus reminds us that our life is like a mist, here today, gone tomorrow. So he says, instead, we should say, if the Lord wills it, we will do this and that. And although there's a huge difference between the Christian and Muslim faiths, I, I did think, it did remind me that there are some points of convergence on language and so on. It's reminded me of the um, words, the Arabic, you know, inshallah, where it's, it has a similar sort of meaning. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not Arabic, I, I don't know fully, but it's a similar sort of idea. But what does all this mean for us? Should we start saying, if God wills it, when we're talking about the future? 
I mean, we certainly could. It wouldn't be a bad thing. But I think in the context of the whole letter of James, it's more about our approach to life, whether we receive life as a gift or we're kind of grasping at it, trying to fix our future when really that future is in God's hands. So, picture of a kingfisher. The Lord really has been, I was preparing this, the Lord really spoke to me about it, um, to see life as a gift um, rather than a life to be sort of desperately lived somehow. And this was about noticing the kingfishers. Anyone seen kingfishers around here? A few people. Um, Specifically, I was talking to some fellow dog walkers. We have a dog called Myla. Uh, and I was walking along talking to these folk and next to the River Crane. And they happened to mention that they'd just seen a kingfisher. And I was amazed because in the 22 years I've lived in the area, I've see, I'd seen a kingfisher only three times in that whole time. And they were equally shocked because they said they saw just one just about every day. And I just thought, how can those two things go together? So I kind of reflected a bit as I was preparing, and um, I realized that I really don't treat each day as a gift, and that it was kind of reflected in the way I walk the dog. For me, it was another task that had to be done on a sort of relentless list of a, a to-do list. Uh, and I felt the Lord prompting me just to take a little bit more time um, to receive the walk as a gift. And the Lord is helping me in this, uh, and. If I don't think about it and I get home after an hour's walk or something and I've like not thought about it, I've just been marching on and, and not taking a bit of time, I don't get down. If I get home, I just thank the Lord that he's reminded me and kind of move into the next thing with more gratefulness. Uh, so there's no kind of um, religious thing here. And I'm starting to see some fruit. Uh, so specifically in terms of kingfishers, I wrote once, but actually after I printed this, I've seen another one since. So in about three weeks, I've seen two kingfishers. So something's happening there. Um, and it is starting, obviously it's not about seeing kingfishers, but it, uh, but it is starting to affect the rest of my life as well. But I like to think about this, and that image just reminds me, and you might find it helpful um, for yourself, just in terms of going on the train to work or elsewhere. And I'm not suggesting for one minute that we all drift along dreamily, hoping to see exotic birds on our um, way about during our days. But there may be something the Lord is speaking to you about how to treat each day. Do you receive it as a gift, thanking him as you wake up or as you have your breakfast, even if that's a kind of noisy, chaotic breakfast with three toddlers or three teenagers or uh, whatever your situation is? Now, I did want to say something briefly about the, just the last verse, which is about doing what we ought to do. I think it's probably the most challenging verse of the whole passage. God is saying that if we don't do the good we ought to do, then that is sin. It's almost that once we've received that God's grace, the other points, taken ourselves kind of off the throne of our lives, and we're receiving life more as a gift, that's all really good, but it's really just to free us up to respond to him and actually take action, because a lot of James is about... If you can, you know, have faith, but let's see your work. So it's kind of, you know, both and. And so there's, there's an element of following through with that action, not just, you know, being in a good place. And doing the thing we ought to do could be a major life decision, um, or it could just be a small nudge of the Holy Spirit just to um, talk to someone or a small act of kindness for a neighbor or, or a friend or, or a stranger. 
I, I'm so often a scaredy cat when it comes to responding to the Holy Spirit with this sort of thing. Uh, you know, is it me? Is it the Holy Spirit? And sometimes you just need to just go for it. Um, I, about three weeks ago, I arrived at Witten train station. That's my normal uh, station to go to work. And the train was delayed by eight minutes. Oh. And instead of getting all annoyed about it, which I usually do, if I'm honest, um, I felt God prompted me to go and chat to the staff at the ticket window. Um, do you remember in the days when one bought season tickets and actually went to the ticket window? And I realized that from even before the pandemic, I actually had never gone to the, you know, I used to go there all the time. And uh, I remembered his name was Mohammed. He did have a, a badge as well. And we had a really lovely chat. And he mentioned his colleague who I'd also known and, and chatted to had been off for an operation. And um, so I asked him to say hi because he was in contact with him and that I'd be praying for him to recover quickly. And I could see Mohammed, you know, he was really touched. And uh, he, he said he didn't remember anyone, and he's, well, he's younger than me, but he's been doing the job a long time. Uh, he didn't remember anyone coming to the ticket window just to say hello in his entire career. Now, I could tell you many stories where I didn't respond to the Holy Spirit uh, for every story where I did, but I just thought it's probably better to share a positive story where there was a, a kind of positive impact. And who knows where that will go, you know, and just, just keep praying for him and <clears throat> see how the Lord leads. And final point on this is just to say, let's not get over-analytical about this and start worrying that we're not doing what God wants us to do all the time and come up, think we have to think hard and come up with a list of five good acts that we do today. You know, it's not about that. God loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself even. And if we just open our hearts to him every day and ask him to fill us with this spirit, then he'll prompt us and hopefully by his grace we'll respond uh, in faith. But not by our strivings is, is, is the main point. As I said in the beginning, there's a danger with James that the scriptures can sound harsh or we start to feel there's a list of 20 things that we've got to do or 20 things we ought not to do. And we kind of react potentially in two ways to that. We either think, oh, you know, I've got enough stress in my life, can't do all these things. Or we actually try and do all those things and, and get exhausted as a result. And I feel the Lord re re would remind us that he is the one that's shown us the way, as we were talking about earlier. If he wanted to condemn us, he would not have sent Jesus. And Jesus doesn't condemn us. He loves us. He, and as I said just now, he knows us better than ourselves. Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, it says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted, like us, was tempted in every way. Um, and we said on the first point about speaking evil, he chose not to do that. He chose not to condemn us or speak evil, uh, but instead chose the will of the Father, which was to take our sin upon himself so we could be free. So let's let that fact draw us to worship him as we continue today and during the week uh, so that we're not striving in our own strength but just worship him with that gratefulness in our hearts and let him lead us and guide us by his Holy Spirit and allow him to sit on the throne of our lives. Amen.